You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast, everybody. I am your host, John Hutspeth, and I'm so glad you're here today. We have an awesome episode coming up, as always. You know, we just have a lot of awesome episodes, so we got a really good one this week. This intro is going to be fairly short. Um, I actually have a ton of stuff that I want to tell you guys, um, just little things that I've learned, little reminders for the season coming up, and just a ton of stuff, and I basically decided that I have so much stuff that I just need to make an entire podcast out of it. So this intro is going to be pretty short and sweet. Uh, We're going to get, we got a nice full episode. And then most likely next week, uh, we're going to have kind of like a a random, but I think very informative podcast. So just things that I've learned over the summer, things I learned, uh, you know, hunting uh, in Nebraska, and then just getting ready for this season, running cameras this summer, things I've learned from other people who are way smarter than I am. Uh, some like scientific type things that I've learned. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about just all kinds of crazy random, but very educational things. So uh, I do want to throw one thing out there. Uh, I believe that velvet season is officially over. Uh, I got a picture last night with three mature bucks in it that all of them have shed their velvet. Uh, One of them two nights ago, I got a picture of he was in full velvet, and I thought at one angle I could see just like one little piece kind of starting to shed, and I was hoping that last night I'd get a picture of him, like one of those cool pictures where there's just like velvet hanging down over his face and everywhere and stuff, uh, but he actually just decided to shed everything during the day, and when I got a picture of him, he was completely hard-horned, not a shred of velvet left, and so uh, I, I think he was the last one I had that was still in velvet. I got some pictures of younger bucks that were all hard-horned and shed. So uh, I think it's time, guys, uh, here in the next couple weeks, like, I mean, really, it's probably going to start now and for the next two to three weeks, you're going to see a lot of shifting happening. So if you've been getting a lot of pictures of bucks at one location, don't freak out if you, you know, if they start to uh, go away and you not get those pictures because they're just shifting. Uh, And then also, if you've been running cameras and you've been disappointed because you haven't been getting a lot of pictures, more than likely, those bucks are about to come and show up any day. So, it's just part of it. Uh, I feel like most people didn't realize, uh, it, it definitely to the extent that this dispersion happened, until, you know, trail cameras have become so popular and so just, you know, there's just trail cameras everywhere now. Um, but yeah, so, most likely those pictures you've been getting all summer, those bucks, more than likely they're not going to be there here in the next couple weeks. They could. Some of them stick around. Um, but yeah, that, that dispersion is about to start. Testosterone is about to start rising. Probably going to start seeing some rubs show up, some scrapes. Uh, you're probably going to see some younger bucks, you know, tickling the antlers together and stuff. And that just is going to keep ramping up until the rut gets here in November. And, and then it's just going to be all out. So, so a very exciting time in the woods, even though it's not quite time to hunt yet. 
uh, it's just an exciting time because it just it just means that it's getting close. So, so yeah, uh, dove season's open. I'm pretty sure teal season is open. Um, deer season's gonna be here in 15 days, I think. 15. Oh well, I guess by the time this releases, it'll be even less than that. Uh, so yeah, we're almost there, guys. We are almost in full swing hunting season. So. So yeah, that's pretty much going to do it for this intro. We have a great episode this week, like I start or start, stated at the beginning. We have returning guest Chris Hammond. He was on not that long ago. He was on this summer. Uh, he's a, a professional archer. He shoots for Matthews and several other companies. Um, and he's a hardcore deer hunter, obviously. And so uh, the same weekend that I was in Nebraska, he was in Kentucky. And uh, he got to stay a lot longer than I do, and it sounds like he had much better results. And so it timed out great because uh, not only did he have some success that he gets to talk about, but again, I just did kind of my early season hunt. So we get to kind of compare notes. And, uh, you know, we were in two very different terrains. He was in Kentucky. I was further west in Nebraska. Uh, but it was just that early season, uh, you know, on the edge of velvet and shedding, uh, different place, two very different environments. So it was just really cool to kind of compare notes uh, and talk to him. And he tells a great story. He's a great storyteller. And then after he kind of tells a story, we go into some questions about the hunt. And uh, we actually get on kind of a random CWD tangent towards the end. So make sure you stick around for that. Um, I think that's going to do it for this week, guys. Like I said, I'm gonna kind of saving all my little uh, nuggets for next week. And uh, so, yeah, that's going to do it. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors. Uh, Please, guys, I mentioned it last week. Please share this podcast. Uh, With hunting season coming up, that usually means we get a lot more traffic. Uh, So send it to your buddies, your family, whoever you want to send it to. Send it out there. Share this podcast. Uh, Hit me up on social media at the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. And that's going to do it. So we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to get into our podcast with Chris right after this. All right, folks, y'all just heard me talking about it. Velvet is gone, and bucks are shifting to their fall patterns, and that means it's prime time to start using Deer Lab. Just yesterday, I was uploading a bunch of my cell cam photos to Deer Lab and creating profiles for my hit list bucks. It's super simple. You just use the tag feature on the site to assign that tag to a certain buck and then create a profile. From there, the software does the rest. And you can simply sit back and use the data the app provides to tell you when and where you have the best chance of catching up to that deer. If you can think of something that influences deer movement, Deer Lab tracks it. Weather, wind, time of day, location, moon phase, it does it all. And all you have to do is upload the photos. Go to DeerLab.com and don't forget to use the code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS for 20% off. That's Oklahoma Outdoors, one word, for 20% off right now. My family and I have done a decent amount of land buying and selling over the last few years. And one thing we have learned is that the agent you choose to go with can absolutely have an effect on your buying or selling experience. When it comes time to make this huge financial decision, make sure to go with the folks at Arrowhead Land Company. Arrowhead Land Company has agents across the state to assist you with your buying or selling decision. No matter if you're looking for a hunting place, a farm or ranch, or even a secluded retirement place with a good view, Arrowhead Land Company has you covered. Private Water Fishing has opened up dozens of private lakes in Oklahoma and Texas for your personal use. You can reserve your own professionally managed lake for a whole or a half day, and you're even allowed to bring some guests. No boat? No problem. Most of these lakes have some type of watercraft on site for you to use free of charge. And again, these aren't just little farm ponds out in a pasture. These are 10 plus acre private lakes, professionally managed for large bass. Some of these lakes even pay you for taking out undesirable fish. You could literally pay for your day of fishing by fishing. If this sounds good to you, go to privatewaterfishing.com and sign up for your membership today. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show, and today we have returning guest Chris Hammond. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, John. How are you, buddy? I'm doing just fine. Been a long day. Uh, actually, just, I had to put my truck in the shop today, um, but luckily my boss oh, is out of town, and so put my work truck in the, in the shop, and now I get to drive his nice brand new pickup uh, while he's gone until yeah. mine gets fixed. So, you know, I'm not complaining too much. 
There you go. Yeah, yeah. it could be worse. It definitely yeah. could be worse. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Chris, uh, you know, it's not even deer season here in Oklahoma, but we already have a deer hunting story coming from you. Um, but real quick, I know you were just on, what, maybe five or six weeks ago, uh, something like that. But uh, real quick, in case people yeah, missed that in... one. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. I, I was saying, yep, back in May or the end of May, I believe it was. Oh, man, time flies. Has that been that long ago? <laughs> Well, especially for you with the, with the new one. That's true. That is true. I couldn't tell you what happened last week, much less back in May. So, uh, so yeah. But, well, just in case somebody missed that, uh, why don't you give us a little recap of uh, who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, so my name's Chris Ammons. Uh, currently a resident from Norman, Oklahoma, otherwise known as God's Country. Um, and I shoot professional archery. I play a professional archer on the weekends and then I've got a normal, you know, normal job like everybody else throughout the week. But between that, um, the professional archery working full-time dad, full-time wife, uh, or wife, husband, <laughs> <laughs> and yep. And then, uh, avid bow hunter have been since I think I was about 13 and yeah, man, that's a, uh, that's really it. Awesome. Awesome. And, yeah, if you're listening to this out there in podcast land, I highly encourage you to go back and uh, listen to that episode with Chris and fine-tune those archery skills as we're about to dive headfirst into the season. And uh, I was going to ask, Chris, how's, uh, how's the tournament trail been going lately? Well, the tournament season for me is over. Okay. Um, we wrapped up. Yeah, we wrapped up the end of July, 1st of August. Um, and this year, I'm not going to lie, this year was a struggle for me. Um as far as my competitive year, it was one of the worst ones I've had. doesn't mean it was a terrible year. Um, I just didn't see the success that I had had over the last five, six years. And that uh, you talk about some motivation. That's some motivation. I'm already – I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now, and I've got three different uh, target bows set up, you know, with the hunting bow in front of me. And I believe I'm shooting them all right now yeah i'm literally shooting them all right now um just i don't want to take any steps backwards i want to keep going forward and really learn from some of the mistakes i made this last season and come out the other side even better awesome well leave it up to me to bring up you know some some hard news but uh but i'm glad you learned from it and uh, i'm sure you're gonna bounce back oh yeah no it wasn't it wasn't that bad i still had a blast good good well, cool, man. Well, uh, you know, not to let the cat out of the bag too much, but you got to go on an early Kentucky bow hunt and had some success. And so as somebody who also got to go on a little bit of an early trip and did not have success, I'm, I'm really excited to hear about it. Uh, so uh, I guess my first question before we just completely dive off into the story is maybe just give us a little background. You know, were you, uh, were you just hunting with some buddies? Was it a DIY thing? Were you hunting with an outfitter? Just tell us a little bit about the trip and how it came about. Yeah, no, the Kentucky thing <clears throat> was something that's been on my list. Uh, I say my list. It's just something I wanted to experience, especially just being that they open that first Saturday of September and you have a your chances of harvesting a, a whitetail in full velvet is much higher, mm-hmm. um, you know, compared to a Missouri um, that opens, you know, on the 15th of September or Kansas, which I just wasn't lucky enough to draw a Kansas tag this year, but. I'm not too upset about that. I only cried a little bit. Um, but uh, the Kentucky thing is something that I've been, you know, I've always wanted to do. Last year, um, I was working on that and was going to go, but, you know, duties called and I ended up having to go out to Arizona for the, man, the entire month of August and half the month of September. So I wasn't able to make it. And then this year, I uh, I helped a fellow uh, a fellow archer, um, helped him out, and I got to know the the whole family. Um, I'll, I'll probably keep their names, you know, out of it. Um, I don't know if they want any of the publicity, but they're freaking awesome, man. They're so great. I can first names, you know, Eric and Gavin. Um, the whole family, those amazing. But they. Uh, man, they, they were on me. They're like, you know, come out and hunt with us. It'll be a great time. You can see our farms, you know, all that. And, 
you know, a lot of it's just, we're, you know, we're just having conversations. It'd be great. Um, but when they stayed on me and it worked out to where that, that opening weekend was on a holiday. So I scheduled a few extra days off and headed out there and we were hunting, um, call it Western Kentucky. Um, and it was on a farm that they, they have, it's a 250 acre farm that there are no roads that go through this farm. So it's, it's virtually untouched. Um, and it is thick. And if you've ever been to that part of the state, you know, you've got those big rolling Hills, big timber and in the, and ag, lots of ag, there's cornfields and bean fields, you know, all around. Um, but with this farm, they, they hadn't hunted it. They've had it for four years and I think they've hunted it twice mm. in four years. Yep. So no feeding programs or anything like that on the farm. Um, and really not running any cameras until I confirmed that I was coming out and they're like, well, let's, uh, let's get some cameras. So they threw two cameras up. Oh, actually three cameras up. And, and yeah, so we just kind of, we were doing some scouting just over the phone, uh, talking about these different places, but, um, how it worked was there was this big cornfield. I mean, a big cornfield, uh, probably between, I'd, I'd say, 60 to 80 acres of corn um, up on top of this flat and then timber was all down below it and these ridges and these saddles kind of fell down into this big bottom that fed what was an old lake that is not a lake anymore it's dried out and we uh we know the deer were up in the corn um it's just how it is this time of year and they had not cut the corn they've been getting a bunch of rain all that um and they located a couple bucks. One of them was this eight pointer, um, not too terribly big, but just a, oh, oh, dude, his body looked like a Brahma bull in the pictures. And when we saw him, he was, he was a, he was a giant body deer. Um, and then they found this other really good 10 pointer. And so we were going to go in and honestly, we were going to, whichever one gave us a shot, I'd have been more than happy with, uh, especially the, you know, being that they're, they're both in full velvet and that's what we were really hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, finished work up early on Friday, the, you know, the Friday before the season opened, drove out there. It was about, it was about a 10 hour drive for me. Um, uh, but it rained the entire way And this rain. The rain's going to be the moral of the story here is I don't know if you got any rain when you're up there in Nebraska, but so it, it rained. It, it rained every, up like I drove through the rain in Oklahoma as I was headed north. And then it was like, it was sunny and nice the whole time I was up there. So, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, go ahead. Yeah. My, my wife yeah, called me saying how bad the rain was and the storms and everything, but yeah, it was, it was bright and sunny where I was. Yeah. Yeah. When I left Oklahoma, you know, all the grass along the roads and everything was dry and brown and crispy. And when I came back, it was all green and lush. Mm-hmm. So we definitely got, we got tons of rain, but you want to make a 10 hour drive feel like it's 20 uh just drive through storms nonstop, and that's what i did um but got there um in the morning you know we we looked at the maps we put our plan together again they already had a setup that they had went in and this is something i i thought was genius and i'll post some of the uh the videos and pictures on my story after this you know once you air this mm-hmm. um is gavin and his brother they 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 knocked it out of the park on this one setup that was down off of the saddle, you know, feeding into these bedding areas to where we could slide off into this ditch. And what they did was they basically they took a, a leaf rake and they raked all the leaves out of this trail so we could just go in. And the trail was probably a foot to a foot and a half wide, but they raked them the whole way all the way to the base of the tree. Hmm. So we could go in silent. We were stepping on bare dirt, and we were able to get in and out silent. The deer didn't hear us, and it worked. Um, each time that we went into the set, we ran into deer. Um, the day I killed, as a matter of fact, on day on on the fourth, I believe. Don't get me. Don't quote me on those dates. Um, on the fourth, we slipped in, and there were deer out there about 60 yards we could see them walking from left to right and then i look to the right and there's a doe and two yearlings bedded at like 15 yards mm. don't even know we're there 
Like that's how quiet it was. And that's taking the time to do those small little steps was amazing. Um, and you know, when we, when we have the luxury of having farms that we hunt, you know, all year, like I know you've got a good little farm that you hunt, like those small details, man, they, they pay off because you can get in and out without deer hearing you, seeing you and all that. But going to the first day, um, and we slipped in there. And one thing I learned about Kentucky is if the weatherman or all the hunting apps, I don't know if you're like me, but I've got like 10 apps on my phone to predict weather and, you know, the barometric pressure and all that. Um, if it says it's going to be out of the Southeast, it'll blow out of the West. Mm-hmm. Um, if it says Southwest, it'll blow out of the Southwest then the East and the North. So we dealt with just sketchy winds all evening. I think we got in there at about one thirty, our first sit. We still saw a bunch of deer, but boy, we, we had a doe catch it, you know, catch our wind. She wasn't quite sure of it. She blew and then she would come back by and then she'd feed off and then she'd come back. And we almost shot her. Uh, you know the rule. Mm-hmm. If yep. you blow, you got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I held off because I just felt like we were really tight to the bedding area. And my luck is I would have shot her and she would have ran and died right in the middle of the bedding area. And we would have blew everything out, you know, day one. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> held off on that. I think we ended up seeing like seven or eight deer the first evening. We didn't see, a, we didn't see an antlered deer at all. Just all does, yearlings, and fawns. Um, so we got out of there and we were looking at the forecast and it was calling for rain starting about midnight. And that was, uh, that was the thing we were hoping for is we even, I believe Gavin made the comment. He's like, man, it'd be nice if it would rain all night and then all morning until about one thirty, and then we could slip in at two and get a good evening hunt. And that's one thing that we do out there early season is we hunt evenings only um when i say out there i do it even in oklahoma i don't hunt mornings until the probably third week of october sometimes the last week of october if i'm hunting mornings i'm way off of a food source catching them coming to their bed their bedding um but man i only have like two spots that i can get away with that because i i mean i do more damage than i do good i'll spook deer out um a lot of these deer on these farms that I hunt here in Oklahoma, they will bed, you know, either in the food or just off the food. And a lot of times that's in open fields. And if you're trying to get to the edges of that, they can see you when you can't see them and you'll never hear them blow. But next thing you know, your target deer disappears. You know, he was there that day and then he's gone. Um, so something changed. And normally that's, uh, that's, you know, us walking in, changing his, his pattern for him. But uh, but we only hunted the mornings, and man, going to that Kentucky hunt or back to the Kentucky situation, it it did exactly what Gavin said. It rained all night, and I mean it stormed. Mm-hmm. So if we left any scent in there, you know, getting out, it washed it all away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it rained all morning. I'm talking while we were driving out there, it poured sideways to where I even text one of my buddies that works for Matthews. Because uh, he was in Kentucky hunting too, he was—I think he was like you know thirty, forty minutes away. I told—I asked him why he didn't tell me to pack a life jacket. That's how much <laughs> it was raining. Like it was nuts. It was nuts. Um, but um, we got to that farm and we slid in to check a camera. And when we got there, the rain stopped and the deer started moving everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Like it, we got out of the truck, shut the door, turn around. There are three does, you know, 60 yards from the truck. Mm-hmm. We go in, we look, there's the little buck just standing there looking at us. So we knew we had to be quick. So we pulled that card, we checked it. Uh, there was nothing really coming through there. Just a few does, a couple little bucks through this one big draw. So we were going to go back in and sit um, in that spot that we knew those two bucks were coming through. And Man, we walk in, and like I said, there was, I think there were seven deer, six or seven deer, um, between, on the other side of our set. And they were headed, they are actually headed back to the bedding area. And then we noticed that doe and that, those two yearlings right to our right, I mean, on top of us. So we were kind of, we just stood there and we waited, uh, probably 10 minutes 
and that the doe and yearling they something you know caught they caught something whether it was just seeing us standing there or whatever it was and they got up and they trotted off but they trotted straight towards the bedding area well that helped those other deer pick up their pace and move off so after they moved off we gave them you know five minutes and then we slipped up into our set we both got up there quiet silent and with it being you know that hot humid i want to say it was probably low 80s um we were both running ozonics um and with how inconsistent the wind is you know that's we that's why we elected to run two of them instead of just the one and I I'm a firm believer that it saved us because there was a couple times that we had does feeding by and our wind was blowing straight to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm puffing it every, I'm hitting my little wind or my wind indicator like every 10, 50 minutes. And when they were in there, it was blowing straight to them. And it's just one of those situations where you're like, please don't blow out, <laughs> please. And luckily they never did. They never did. And with the way these draws work and these ridges, about that last hour and a half, those thermals start to suck all that scent down into the bottoms. And that's what we were counting on. Well, once that started is when the deer just started flooding by. And I couldn't even tell you how many deer we saw. I was just joking with them after the hunt. I was like, I, we saw all the deer. We saw them all. <laughs> like, yeah. Every deer we saw I mean, it was like you, you couldn't really move because there's no matter what, there's a, oh, there's a deer behind us now. Okay, nope, there's a deer to our right. What's that coming from behind us? Here's another deer. Like, it was amazing. Um, and to see them still on those summer patterns is so, it's just fun. They're, I feel like they're less on edge, you know, not a lot of hunting pressure yet and all of that. And, dude, it was awesome. Um, and then we had, I think we had two two mature does and they, ha- I think they each had fawns. Well, up on the ridge, we heard a deer cough. Like if you've ever heard it, it's a very distinct sound. Um, and we heard it and it sounded really deep when he, when they coughed. <clears throat> so I look up at Gavin and I'm like, do you hear that? And he was like, he gives me the nod. And I was like, that's gotta be, that's gotta be one of our guys. Well, that deer coughed. And the two mature does, they lock on to something up on the ridge. And they're just looking up there. We can't see them where we're at. It's pretty thick. And they just watch, and they watch, and they watch. And then we can see legs go through the timber. And then we see a big body shoot in between these trees. And, like, now there's more deer that have already come and moved in. And they're all full alert, and they're watching, and it's the big eight-pointer. And here he comes, and he circles, and he gets downwind just a little bit, but he sees all those deer, so he just comes straight in. And as he comes in, he blows all the does out. And they get out, and we're sitting there, and he comes in, and he's feeding. And he turns broadside, and it's like, okay, I'm not you know, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Like, he's getting it. <laughs> well... About the time that I feel like we've got enough footage, because we film everything, uh, we filmed everything, and feel like we're good, I catch more movement back behind him, and it's the 10-pointer. And here comes the 10, and he rolls in, and dude, he, I think we watched the footage, and for eight minutes, we couldn't get a shot. Mm. When he, When he first walked in, he turned broadside, and there was this one twig coming down. Of course, there's always this one twig coming down, goes right through the middle of his, you know, his vitals. And then it splits like right where his heart's at. Mm. So it's like, dude, don't rush it. You know, that's what you're telling yourself. Heart rates getting up there. Well, one thing in Kentucky that I didn't know they have is they have these horse flies that are like little (laughs) F-18s and they were lighting these deer up. It's the craziest thing. And it, it played, in our favor because it was frustrating these deer to where they really, they were frustrated. You know, they're flicking their ears, their tails, swinging their heads, you know, stomping, shaking because these, these horse flies are lighting them up. And of course the horse flies know exactly where to get where they can't reach them. So they're like middle of their back, you know, just past their shoulders. So they can't, they can't reach them. Deer go nuts. And I think it helped us because the deer weren't, you know, on edge, mm-hmm. you know, or like all their senses, like when, you know, whitetails are locked in, they're super cagey. 
They're not like a mule deer or, you know, or a blacktail or anything like that. Like whitetails are locked in and those horse flies, I think helped us. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sat there and for just over eight minutes, you know, I'm waiting for this deer to turn broadside. He goes behind this brush pile and then he comes back around and I was like, Oh my goodness, they're going to feed off. Cause the eight pointer starts to leave. Well, they come in and again, he comes in and he's facing me he's speeding facing me. Well, he starts to turn just a little bit, uh, his head to my right. And he was, he was quartering to me. Um, as soon as he got broadside enough that I knew I could, you know, suck it right in on the edge of that shoulder and come out, you know, towards the end of the ribs. Um, I started to come to full draw and I got to, I probably got about four to five inches back and a doe walks up about eight yards. Um, and I guess the best way to, for me to explain it is if I was looking at the deer, she's below me to my right. So I'm, I'm holding the bow and I've stopped because her head goes up and she's checking the wind. And if I would have kept moving, she would have busted me a hundred percent. So I'm holding it there four to five inches, maybe six inches. And, and I shoot, I shoot, I'm shooting 75.7 pounds. I'm shooting the V3X, the 33 and I'm shooting 80% mod. So it's 80% let off. And as soon as she puts her head down to feed, he kind of turns just a little bit more. And then I just finish coming to full draw nice and easy. And honestly, uh, Gavin told me, he said he felt like I held longer than I do when I'm shooting competitively because Gavin and I have competed against each other the last two years. And he was just like, I thought you were still trying to figure out which one you were going to shoot. Because at one point I looked up at him and said, which one? <laughs> like with a <laughs> smile on my face. Uh-huh. You know, talk about, talk about a scenario you're never in like yeah. just great problem to have mm-hmm. <laughs> and he and he just smiled at me and he's like whichever one you want like let's just tell me and i'll get on him mm-hmm. um so i came to full draw and i just i parked my pen right there behind his shoulder um and just slowly executed my shot it fired and it was one of those shots when it fired you know it was a surprise shot 100 percent. it fired and it just blew through him like i mean it was it was nothing um the funny funny part is when we slow down the video a squirrel actually came down behind him and almost almost lost his life because with with the pastor like my arrow had to have been within inches of it (laughs) that would have been awesome that would have been a double to remember (laughs) yeah right but uh but man the deer you know like a bomb went off all the deer take off and i you know i'm sitting there and i'm like golly that's so that's so crazy it's it's unbelievable, you know, and then, and then we hear a crash and it's like, dude, that's it. It just came together day two. Like, how's this happen? You know, like mm-hmm. we were just, we were so pumped. Um, but man, he didn't run 40 yards, didn't run 40 yards. And we did our little recovery and took pictures and everything. And then we had to figure out how we were going to get him out. Because like I said, no roads and it had been raining like crazy. <laughs> and like, there's a couple ditches that are vertical um but man uh so the first thing we did is uh one of my old buddies old tony morelli and michael miles they call it the meat pole where they cut you know you cut like a four uh-huh. you know a little four inch diameter tree down uh-huh. and you tie their legs together and you run it through their legs and you tear them out on your shoulders mm-hmm. well gavin's like six five i'm basically six foot um just just barely touch over but that angle is uh pretty steep mm-hmm. on my end um so we did that for a little bit gavin gavin's six five he's a little skinny um so it was uncomfortable on his shoulders um so then at the end dude we just uh we i drug him over to a little ditch and got him on my shoulders and then we just hoofed him out on our shoulders i i carried him i carried him uh all the way until about the last 75 yards and then we got him on Gavin's shoulders and then he got him up the last little bit mm-hmm. and it was still, it was still unbelievable. I still really, uh, can't believe it came together like that. The footage was awesome. Um, you know, well, of course I left him in Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. he, uh, taxidermist there is going to do him or take care of him for me and, you know, figuring out how to get that, you know, his, his head and all the meat back, you know, yeah. in one, in one trip is uh 
you know, it's tricky, especially with the new law in Oklahoma, yep. you know, trying to prevent uh, CWD and all that. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, we were able to get get him taken care of, and we, I just went ahead and left the uh, the you know the head and all that. Kate's there with the taxidermist, got the rest of of it taken care of, and uh, man, I was able to. I was able to hang out with them. We checked out, you know, a couple more farms the next day. We hung, we hung a couple sets to get ready for the fall for them because they're still big hunters. They just don't like fighting all the mosquitoes and those F-18s um, <laughs> the way I was willing to. So, yeah. freaking awesome hunt. And then the very next day, my teammate, you know, in, in the uh, the bow hunting league that mm-hmm. I've mentioned and yeah in the previous podcast that Dwayne Carter's mentioned, um, he shoots just an absolute beautiful buck, a stud 163 inch deer mainframe nine pointer with a bunch of extras all over his bases. Um, just a beautiful buck the very next evening. So two of us teammates on the, you know, in that bow hunting link uh-huh. knocked down two great deer. And here we are. And our partner, our third, our teammate, Dwayne Carter sitting over there about to lose his mind because he can't hunt for another month. <laughs> yeah, I will say that was the worst part of the early season hunt is you come home and you you can't hunt anymore. It's like a it's like a little tease, you know. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I was I right before the you and I got on the phone to do this. Um, I was just talking to Scott. I was like, dude, I feel like I'm living like two different lives. Like I went and hunted, we went, you know, we went all in, and then I come back and it's like, nope, you can't. hunt. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Gotcha. So, so are you, uh, when are you going to go back to, uh, Nebraska? Man, I, I hope I can go back. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to or not. Uh, just with the baby and everything, I feel like I'm, you know, pushing being away from home already as it is. And, you know, with two buck tags in Oklahoma and then, uh, I have, uh, so my buddy that I hunt with in Texas, he actually picked up a second lease this year. So I now have two different places oh, wow. I can hunt in Texas. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with Texas, the way they do, they their regs are a little different. Uh, so you can you can kill three bucks, but they have uh, it's it's managed by county. So like where his old lease was, yeah. it was a one buck county. So I could only kill one buck. Okay. But, but now his new lease <laughs> is in a second county, and I believe it actually straddles a county line. And so, so at minimum, I got two counties to hunt, potentially a third. So, I, I mean, I, I would absolutely love to get back to Nebraska, especially, um, you know, I got up there, my sister's father-in-law, you know, just talking to him. I, pr- I learned that pretty much if I wanted to hunt anywhere in a three-mile radius, he could get me permission. Uh, like, if I go back, oh, I mean... Like I already have access to like eleven hundred acres if I go back. When I when I drove up there, I had access to like one hundred and ten, um, and so oh, awesome. I, yeah, I, I'm really excited about the future. Um, but yeah, get, and also a lot of the places that I hunted, um, I feel like it would have been better if it was soybeans instead of corn. But a lot of it was corn. Yeah. And so next year, I think it'll be really set up. Um, but uh, I also I have five points in Iowa, so I'm hoping to also draw oh. Iowa next year. So, man, I'm like I'm I'm I have all this potential. I just don't have the vacation to take it all. So I also have a Kansas yeah. point. I've never hunted Kansas. I, I have a point there, so I could probably draw it if I wanted to. So I might just have to quit my yeah. job next year and go, you know, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Oklahoma, and Texas, and just say sorry, wife, yeah. figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I mean, good problems to have. It I, uh, I, uh, I, I feel you on there. The uh, the Iowa preference points. I'm right there with you. I've got five also. Uh-huh. Um, I've just been buying, you know, buying my time to uh, to be able to take off and go. Yep. Um, but I was just telling Scott on the phone. I was like, I got to figure out a way to make a lot of money <laughs> from February to to the to August. Yes, exactly. And then I'll have. Then I'll have it figured out. Uh-huh. Um, once I figure that out, we'll be good. Yep, yep. So, so I would love to get back there, especially you know, uh, to time it out with when they're cutting that corn. I think would be spectacular. Um, but I just, I just yep. don't know if I can, if I can swing that again when I, you know, can stay here in Oklahoma or go to Texas so easily and and be back and not have to put too much uh, baby time on the wife. So, right. But yeah. I, yeah. I'm a. Uh... I believe I'm going to be making a trip down to uh, Texas in December also. So oh, nice. that's going to be, 
it's always fun, yeah. especially late season down there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I got a couple questions though about your trip, if uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. So one, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, here in Oklahoma about you know the type of stuff you hunt, but I do not hunt farm ground. Uh, I, I've per- I don't think I've ever mentioned the county that I hunt in here because I you know talk to thousands of Oklahomans every week and tell them about my deer stuff. Yeah. So try to keep it fairly vague. Yep. But I, I'm in cattle country, <clears throat> not in farm country. Um, and so right. talk, you know, watching YouTube videos and, you know, media and stuff. And it seems like everything you hear about September whitetails is centered around soybeans. And, uh, and I ask people about that and everybody's like, you know, they might bed in the corn, they might eat a little corn, but they're really going to be in the soybeans. Um, uh, but one day when I was up there scouting, I was walking along the edge of this cornfield and I got to this corner that, you know, backed up into this timbered draw. And this corn had been hammered by deer. And then when I got to paying attention, like that whole edge of the corn had been hammered by deer. And it sounds like you were completely focusing on corn. So is that something you were, I mean, I guess because you were hunting with some people who knew it, you were kind of expecting it. But, uh, you know, as a, as a little simple cattle pasture type guy, I was not expecting deer to eat corn at all. Was that, uh, just talk about that a little bit. Uh yeah, well, the the corn, the reason why, you know, it's like, well, they haven't cut the corn yet. We were hunting, uh, we were hunting 150 to 200 yards off of the corn, mm. um, you know, down, catching them, trying to get up in between, trying to get in between them. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have the beans there to hunt, um, or we, I imagine we would have keyed in on beans slash CRP mm-hmm. um, for early season like that, or actually... I mean, almost all season. Um, if I can find, especially up there in Kansas, Nebraska, if I can find a food source that butts up to CRP, I will focus my time there um, 95% of the time um, because those deer can bed and live in that CRP and there's not any trees, you know, dangers far and few between, and they have food and they have the security. It's just, it's a it's a recipe for a, you know a place for a big deer to live big old deer mm-hmm. the corn not shocked to hear it uh, what you may if if you haven't hunted around it you know a lot and I know we don't have a ton of it you know in Oklahoma in certain areas we absolutely do um, but one of my actually my two best farms that's what they are they're they're cattle they're cattle that's it mainly cattle one of them is mostly Bermuda which is, you know, terrible. Well, I mean, if you're cutting hay, it's terrible for your yeah. turkey populations. Not yeah. the best, not the best for deer. Mm-hmm. Pigs love it, apparently, because mm-hmm. I can't get rid of them. Uh, but <clears throat> we're working on that. Um, the corn, the deer can live in that corn because it gives them the same thing I just described with the CRP, mm-hmm. that the CRP has. Um, and a lot of times, I mean, with the water, um, when it rains, I mean, water can hold in those leaves, you know, there's water there in the you know, the only time they'd have to leave that corn is if it's dry to go find water mm-hmm. so if you can ever catch it when they're cutting the corn those deer you will if you're running any sort of cameras or you've been glassing from a distance once that corn's cut you're going to see you know so many more deer than you would if the corn was up yeah um every year we go to illinois and shoot a tournament there and then one of our favorite things to do is go around um, glass deer do some scouting on some public land and man if it's ever on the corn you know it's on the year that they have corn in there we see half the deer that we normally that we will on the year that there's soybeans in those fields Mm -hmm. um it's just they'll key in on it and it's easier to see them you know it's just obviously you know corn six foot tall or taller and the beans aren't so i uh I'm not shocked to hear that they're pounding that corn right there on the corner. Um, I'd be interested to see what, you know, what that timber looked like. Um, they're, you know, they are edge, you know, edge creatures. Um, so they're using edges. So it sounds like you found you a little spot, but I'd be, you know, without looking at it, you know, on a topo or, you know, Google earth or something like that. Uh, I'm just guessing at that point. And uh, you just mentioned edge. That somewhat leads me into my next question. Uh, when I learned yeah. when, I, when I was up there, I learned so much about edge just because there was so much more of it than what we you know. We have cattle pasture, and then you know maybe some timber. Like that, there's there's just not a lot of edge right. there. 
Um, but up there, you know, they yeah. had soybean fields, they had corn fields, and then a lot of that would go into CRP, and then they would have, you know, there's chunks of big timber, and then there's creeks with little strips of timber, and uh, man, just walking along those those edges, you would, it'd just be bed, 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 all over the place. Yeah. And so I learned a ton yep. about just edge habitat and how deer used it while I was there. Uh, was there like a big, it doesn't have to be about edge. Was there just any kind of big takeaway that you learned from hunting at a place that you don't normally hunt that you were able to bring home with you? Um, well, the, the one thing I took away with or from there is the wind and the thermals. Um, yes, we get where I'm at in Oklahoma, I'm in pretty flat ground. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in Eastern Oklahoma. I'm in central Oklahoma and in Northwest Oklahoma. And, that is uh northwest we get some big rolling hills like you have to stay out of those draws or it will suck your scent straight down in there even if the wind is you know per the wind you know anything is going to say you're good wind it will eventually suck it down there and it'll blow all your deer out mm-hmm. um but um hunting that where you can truly use those thermals regardless of what wind direction tells you that's one thing i took back with or you know took away from it um and it's just funny because you when you hunt with other people, they already have it. They've, mm-hmm. they've been doing that their whole life. Well, where we're at, we really don't see a lot of it. It stays, it's Oklahoma, it's windy. So mm-hmm. if it's windy, it's blowing one direction. It normally stays that direction. And out there you can get several different winds. Um, so that was, that was one big takeaway for me on that one. The other one for me is we took a different approach because I didn't have a lot of time. So we got in tight, like, honestly uncomfortable tight to their bedding area the joke was we were hunting we were hunting the trail in between their bedding area you know their bedroom and their bathroom Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's that's how close we were to where they lived um and this this early of the year it's just something that we don't do uh or that i'm not used to but man we got in there and it paid off but i think it paid off because access is extremely important um and i wouldn't say that I came away with it because it's already something that we focus on so hard here in Oklahoma. Um, but being able to get in quietly and undetected and out quietly and undetected is, it's just, man, that right there is worth its weight in gold because I mean, these white tail, man, if you, some of these mature deer, you can only make one mistake on it mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. You know, and then they're gone. And the next thing you know, you're seeing a neighbor, harvest them or something like that um so yeah i i know i'm really not answering the question but just you you know hunting the thermals hunting the thermals and then just man entry and you know your access has got to be it's got to be dialed in and sometimes you've got to make mistakes on your entry to fine tune it i know what we call the home farm i've made several mistakes there but now we've got it fine-tuned yeah yeah awesome and then uh Super kind of quick one. You mentioned Ozonics, and y'all were running two of them and stuff. Um, I have an Ozonics unit. I believe in it. Um, I had my Ozonics moment, you know, right after I bought it where a deer came from downwind and just like on the commercial kind of raised its nose for a second and kept on walking through it. But uh, on our old yeah. property that, that we sold last year, um, I, I think I actually overused it. You know, once I saw it work a couple times, I was like, well, if a little good, you know, more is better. So I was using it on my clothes. <laughs> I had the, the truck unit, you know, that plugged into the cigarette lighter and I'd run it in the tree. <laughs> and I think I actually got to where I was spooking deer with it because, you know, I know it technically eliminates scent, but I think, you know, they obviously still get something there. And I think that the deer basically learned whatever that scent was was associated with me and danger and i was actually repelling deer with my ozonics unit so i've cut way back on it uh recently um is it something like how do you use it how much do you use it do you take it with you every time do you run it on your clothes just kind of talk about how you use the ozonics um honestly i mean listen no matter what the wind is you have to play the wind if you're not playing the wind uh, you're, you're fooling yourself. And a lot of people think that like if they're hunting over their corn pile and the wind's blowing, you know, to the South, you know, so they get on the South end. Well, most of these, these deer will circle downwind of that corn pile or that food plot or whatever it is, you know, a hundred yards, 150 yards, 200 yards, maybe more to where you're not going to see them. Right. Mm-hmm. So playing the wind 
there's no beating the wind. Like, yes, ozonics helps. Mm-hmm. I my here's how I explain. I think I feel like ozonics helps me. I think it gives me that that amount of time, that small window, that if I need to shoot, I have it. Mm-hmm. Instead of where I've hunted, let's say I've hunted McAllister, right? Mm-hmm. Can't take anything in there like that. And the ammunition plants, what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I've had those bucks, and boy, when they hit your wind, they don't even stop. They hit it, and they turn around immediately, and they go back the way they came. Like, with an Ozonics, I believe, and this is just my my experience, is that it allows them to stop right there and be like, wait, what is that? And if they don't catch it again, they'll just walk through. Um, so that them stopping gives me that opportunity to shoot, um, you know, and potentially harvest that animal. I... I mean, I, I don't know that I uh, I would expect it to scare deer off. Um, maybe um, if you've got your ozonics in there and they are coming from downwind every time, and that you know one time they went in there and you shot killed one, mm-hmm. or somebody got busted moving and they smelt it and they saw you move and it's like, oh okay, I smell that. That chances are that person's there or that thing is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they just associate that, associate that. Um, obviously, you know, they can't count mm-hmm. um, or anything like that. But I do think that once they smell something, they will think danger. Yeah. I also think that if they smell something, like let's say we are feeding, like at the home farm, we've got a feed station that we feed out of all year. Well, I'll go in there and I'll wear my gym clothes. I'll wear my clothes that I've worn, you know, to work or my regular tennis shoes that I mow the yard in because I want them to smell me. Mm-hmm. And then if they do smell me in that scenario, I just want them to get used to it. And I'm, I used to be crazy about it. Uh, I used to be the guy that would wear chest high waders in the middle of the summer and spray down with my scent free stuff and go in there because I didn't want to spray down with, you know, bug spray. And just in my mind, I was just brought up that way that you don't ever want them to smell you. Mm-hmm. But, um, Jeb Bailey, um, was suspect, uh, outfitters and suspect game cameras. He messaged me once and told me, he's like, dude, I just run this. And then he told me about, uh, Sawyer's, um, you know, that bug spray. Mm-hmm. And ever since that, and his theory of, you know, I want them to smell me. Once I changed it, I feel like it's, it's gotten better. Like my success has gotten better or at least my ability to keep mature deer around longer Mm -hmm. and all that has gotten more consistent. Um, so I think it goes both ways. Like, yes, you want them to smell you a little bit Mm -hmm. right now. Um, I don't want to spill too much, uh, because we're getting close to the season and the deer's a a mega giant, (laughs) but, um, I'll tell you, Dwayne and I are helping someone, uh, close the deal. And when I say Dwayne and I, it's mainly Dwayne. Dwayne's just bouncing ideas like we always do. Scott and I burn our, Scott, Dwayne and I burn each other's phone down. It's just bouncing ideas off of it. We have a problem. Yeah. We absolutely, we absolutely have a problem. Mm-hmm. My wife the other day was calling me and I wasn't answering. And she sent a text and said, get off the phone with Scott and call me back. I <laughs> 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 was a hundred percent on the phone with Scott talking uh-huh. about deer. Uh-huh. But, uh, but we're, uh, we're Dwayne and I are scheming this plan together. Um, they're bringing in hay bales and they're going to build a wall that way he can get in and out without these deer seeing him on this field. Mm-hmm. And he's putting a hoodie in there, a work hoodie in his ground blind. That way that deer, if the wind ever switches, he smells it. He knows he's safe. Mm-hmm. And we, Dwayne's done it in the past. I've done it in the past. Like I'll leave like a base layer, you know, in my mm-hmm. set sometimes, especially if I know I'm not going to be in there hunting mm-hmm. um, for a while. Um, I just leave it, let them get used to it. And man, I think it helps a little bit. Um, if it's, if it's something new, you obviously want to go in completely undetected, yeah. like the Kentucky thing. We didn't want them to know we were there at all because they weren't used to it. They weren't conditioned to it. But if you can condition it to condition them, well, if this guy, hopefully, um, the one I'm talking about, he's in there. And if the wind switches and that deer smells, you know, him for just a second, it gives him an opportunity to harvest that deer because he's not going to blow out of there immediately. Yeah. Um, so we're taking that approach where, uh, he doesn't have an ozonics. Uh, I'll definitely give him mine cause this deer is a, I mean, a mega giant, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my thoughts, you know, 
mm-hmm. around it. I'm definitely with me. I'm taking Mozonics every time, mm-hmm. um, just because, yeah. you know, just, uh, just in case it's kind of like, you know, um, uh, I guess like if, uh, you know, if I'm carrying my sidearm, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to use it, mm-hmm. but I got it just in case. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And I have, so hunting this new property where I, you know, didn't overuse it or anything like that. And, uh, it did, I, I took it about two years ago, uh, had a big mature eight point. It was late season. The wind was decent, but not great. But, you know, it was, it was like January 8th or something. So I was going to go hunt, you know, and risk it. And, yeah. uh, he came from, you know, fairly downwind. He wasn't directly downwind, but I, I do think having that Ozonics help and, and probably helped me kill that deer. So I'm, like I said, I'm still a believer in it. I just, I think people have to be smart in how they use it and obviously still play the wind, like you were saying. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You can't just, you can't just give up on the wind. Yeah. I got one more quick question, and I'll let you get out of here. Uh, you brought it up, and it, it's something I had to research too, the CWD thing. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people know about it. Um, I I kind of figured out or learned about it last year because I do hunt Texas and, and you know deer across the state and stuff. But um, you know, I don't think a lot mm-hmm. of people in Oklahoma realize that they are kind of cracking down on CWD a little bit and bringing deer in from out of state. Uh, so – um, yeah, just talk about your plan a little bit and, and how you're going to go about that. Yeah. So I believe it was two years ago, um, that they changed the law on it. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I look, I mean, it's feedback. So for the wildlife department, I, I believe, especially with the, I, I feel like I'm fairly involved, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the outdoor industry, I'm not missing any hunting shows, you know, or anything like that. I'm, talking to the guys, you know, Craig and them with Oklahoma bow hunter and just, mm-hmm. and I got a buddy that's a biologist. Um, and I got another buddy that's a game warden. Mm-hmm. They did not do a very good job of communicating that. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I want is somebody to, you know, catch a fine and you know how, you know, how the internet is these days, mm-hmm. you're guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. Um, I'd hate for somebody to catch a fine. Luckily for me, I had a buddy that, thought he read it um and more importantly what it is is you cannot bring unless they change it i doubt they changed it just <laughs> well if they did they didn't communicate it like just the way they didn't communicate it whenever they made the change mm-hmm. um so definitely need to do a better job of that hopefully this gets out there man i, I really yeah. do um because i don't want to see anybody get in trouble for it mm-hmm. but you cannot harvest um i i'm just going to speak on whitetail I don't, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but you cannot harvest a whitetail deer, you know, in Texas, um, in all our bordering states or any state for that matter, and bring it across the state line with its um, its brain and spinal cord intact and still, you know, brain matter intact and the spinal cord, spinal fluid, all that, um, because they feel like they've linked it to that. Um, however, uh from my understandings and research I've done, I'm not a biologist, um, and I know that's kind of an ongoing joke, but, <laughs> but that's a whole other scenario. Um, from my understanding is they believe that that's a way that it can be transmitted. Obviously, there's other ways. That's why there's some people that are against baiting, you know, and feeding because they're coming in and it's being transmitted through saliva. And there's a whole lot of assumptions. Mm-hmm. But the law is, you can't bring these in yeah. um, like that. So your options are one, you can, you know, do the European mount yourself before you bring it in, in your camp. So you can boil the skull, bring it back and then debone all the meat and bring the meat back that way. That's how I have done it. So the deer I killed in Kansas two years ago, uh, my buddy gave me the heads up, thought he read it somewhere, couldn't find it. We did a bunch of research and it took us a little while to find it. Yeah. Um, did our research and sure enough it says it it's like man the last thing i want is to be the guy that gets the example made of or anything like that i just don't you know don't want to associate it um so what we did there is um i just boiled the head Mm -hmm. caked it out boiled it right then got all that out power washed it out did that they say that you can skull cap it um that way you can bring it back to your taxidermist so cape it skull cap it pressure wash any brain matter and then again debone all the meat you can do that and then you can bring it back in your cooler 
or you can find a processor there that's you know that's local to where you're at and then go back and get your meat once it's processed um but those are your options um i i have personal feelings on it but that doesn't really matter because the law is the law Mm -hmm. Uh, but i hope they do a better job of communicating that especially with all these you know that we we got a lot of guys that go out of state and hunt yeah and you know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, make a mistake that you didn't know you're making and, and have to pay a fine or, mm-hmm. or worse, maybe lose your animal, uh, maybe lose the meat. Um, I just hate for that to happen to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something, uh, I, I wouldn't say I've avoided it on this podcast, but I definitely haven't talked about it enough. And I feel like it's having this podcast, I would say it's somewhat my responsibility to, to get the word out there and, uh, a little tease to all the listeners. I have, uh, I will call him a high-ranking official uh, scheduled two weeks from now that I'm going to get to ask a lot of these questions about. Um, and so uh, so we are going to get some answers because I think it's it's obviously very important. It's something that's sweeping the nation. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma is one of maybe two states in the East that doesn't have a recorded case. Um, I, I personally, I don't see how it's not in Oklahoma. I, I just I don't think we've done near – as much testing as other states. That's my personal thought. But if Kansas, Arkansas, Texas, and Louisiana have it, I just don't see how we don't. So, um, is that going to yeah, keep me from? Is it going to keep me from hunting or eating deer meat? Probably not. Um, but uh, yeah. but I just I just don't see how it's not in Oklahoma. Yeah, and look, I just I think I think there's a lot to it. Uh, like you said, there's no there's not enough testing. I got a feeling that chronic wasting disease CWD is something that's probably been around forever Mm -hmm. and that someone somewhere has found a way to make this, uh, I hate to call it cool because it's not cool, but, (laughs) um, found a way to get some traction with it. Um, but I can tell you this, they don't want us to stop hunting because, well, I mean, how, how would we protect our wildlife if they no longer have a value? Um, if we're not harvesting these animals to eat, um, you know, or even the trophy side of it. I mean, mm-hmm. trophy hunting is a thing. You guys want to, I know vegans that hunt. Yeah, I do. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It sounds crazy, but I do. Well, I guess I could call them vegetarians. They're not vegans. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I'm this Um, I know vegetarians that hunt. Uh, one of them is, one of them is a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just donates all his meat. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I get it. If we take the value away from these animals, uh, we're going to be in a really bad spot and something that a lot of us have worked really hard to grow and, you know, manage our properties. Um, it'll be taken away pretty quick to lose its value. And man, talk about landowners, it affects everything. Landowners, um, the value of their land. It's, uh, it's just a, uh, a lose, lose for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. But definitely a great topic to ask about. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, I hope to get us some answers here pretty quick. So, well, Chris. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be really cool. Yeah. Uh, real quick before I let you go here, and thank you for coming on. I want to give you a quick chance to just kind of shout yourself out. Um, if people want to go and and follow what you do, um, you have some social media accounts and things that people can follow you on. Yeah, yeah. Facebook, I believe it's Christopher Hammond. Um, I believe that's it on Instagram. It's uh, it's Chris D Hammond. Uh, I think it, there's underscores in there, but you'll find me. Uh, I got the old family picture with me, uh, and I think I've got my finger in my son's nose. You know, just taking a quality family picture there. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, no, I do a lot of that. Um, how I get most of my content out is just on my stories. I do it. I could do a better job of posting, and I know I need to. Um, but um, like you, I've got a full time job, got kids, got a wife. Um, so trying to live life too, but, uh, deer and deer season, man, I'm all, I'll post to my stories all the time. It's quicker. It's easier for me to talk on the stories instead of take the time to type something up and edit a picture. Um, but yeah, those are my, those are my two platforms. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Twitter or anything like that. I'm busy enough with those two. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Chris, I appreciate it. Uh, let me say congratulations. I don't think I said that yet. Congratulations on your deer. Awesome. Um, I love the thank chat. You, I love the random chat at the end and all the tips. So, uh, yeah, thank you for coming yeah. on. 
No problem, man. And uh, last message is, man, if anybody out there needs any help with archery questions, whether it's tuning, it's form, it's getting over target panic, anything like that, man, shoot me a message. I'd love to help. I will. Uh, if I don't reply immediately, I will definitely get back to you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye, buddy. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I uh, I actually kind of thought this was going to be a little bit shorter of an episode, but we somehow wound up over an hour, and here we are. So not going to complain about it. I I think this is perfect timing. I hope you guys enjoyed that, our first successful deer hunting story of the year, and I hope it just brings everybody listening some good luck for this season. So hope you guys learned from this one. hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, yeah, come back next week, come back this whole hunting season. We got a lot more good content coming up. If you're successful this season and think you have a good story, hit me up on social media, preferably Instagram, cause I check that more and, uh, maybe we'll have you on the show to talk about it. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. I, I just, I love doing this. Thank you guys so much for supporting me. We got a great season ahead of us. So please, please come back because, Yeah, it's just going to be a great year. So thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week right here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.